Why people need Jesus. Hmm. You ever wonder about that? You should. That's really about your whole purpose in life is to know that and then to communicate it. Why people need Jesus. Um, You may have seen uh, a bit of a, we'll call it a a chatter in social media and other places about the advertisement during the Super Bowl, the Jesus gets us advertisement. Um, Is there an element of truth to it? Of course there is, because it was trying to communicate that Jesus doesn't preach hate, and we absolutely believe that. And what they were showing in those images are here are people that would normally be at odds with one another, but Christianity is not that. Um, However, the subtlety of it is this, because the definition of hate in society today is different than ours. And particularly at the last image that was communicated uh, was a person, it was obviously by his mannerisms, uh, was homosexual. And then there was a priest who was washing his feet And the statement is made that Jesus never preached hate. Jesus gets us. And what they're essentially saying is uh, preachers like myself and others, uh, when we communicate that God has a different plan, that is an orthodox plan, that is to be homosexual and to enter in homosexual union, um, is wrong. They would say that that's hate. Jesus gets us. Uh, He knows we have problems So a preacher like you, you need to understand that that's not what Jesus Christ taught. Jesus Christ taught truth, did he not? Uh, Jesus Christ said something, I am the way and the, and the, no one comes to the Father. Pretty clear. And today, if you will be a person that proposes that, you might be considered hateful. Because you're too closed-minded. You aren't thinking as broadly as you should. There are going to be people that you won't reach because you aren't thinking broader than this antiquated, at times, Bible that you believe in. But we believe it from cover to cover, do you not? I mean, I absolutely do. I love my Bible. I was um, sharing with some folks on our call on Tuesday how on two trips ago, as I was flying... I was mapping out a Bible reading plan for the rest of the year, and there I was on my iPad thinking, okay, how many um, chapters in the Old Testament, the New Testament, how many days are left in the year starting on March 1st, and here's my plan to read through the Bible, which I'll be sharing with you next week because I'd love for some of you to join me. And so the ability to get through the the Old Testament twice, the New Testament five times in a bonus reading would be um, the Gospels at the end as well. But it's also set up where I put times of reflection. So once you've gone through the Old Testament, a couple days to reflect, write your thoughts, start up again, get through the New Testament, write your thoughts. Um, And so I'll send that off to you this week, and I'll talk about it next week as well. You say that's quite a challenge to get through so much of the Bible and, and that amount of time. Uh, it is, and I've, we've done it before. Some of you joined with me in the 90 days of the Bible, right? How many of you did? Yeah, right. It was a wonderful time. Um, and as I said then, you know, even if you don't make it through all of those chapters in 90 days, will you not be benefited? Yes, you would be. What? Yes, of course you would be. If there's some chapters that you didn't read in those 90 days, But you read, say, for instance, oh, I didn't get through all 28 of Matthew. I got through only 25. I only got through 20 of them. 
Maybe in John, you say, I didn't get through all 21 chapters of John. I only read 15 of them. When it comes to Colossians, I didn't get through all four chapters. That one day threw me off. I only got through three chapters. When I was reading, you know, it goes on and on, does it not? You would be a better person at the end of 90 days. Now, this is a side note, but nonetheless important to you because it leads into what I'm saying when it comes to answering this question about why people need Jesus, we must go to the scriptures. Are we agreed on that? Amen. Society has no answers. And I would say this in today's world, uh, we are told that we need so many things to survive, to be the person we need to be, to look the way we should, to enjoy life the way we would like to enjoy, to feel the way we would like to feel. That's what society tells us. And to convince us of this, Advertisers spend, as a matter of fact, they spent in 2023. Do you know how much money advertisers spent in 2023? I will tell you, $351 billion. $351 billion, and that's just in the United States. Roughly, uh, worldwide, advertisers spent about $780 billion. Think about it. We're spending $351 in the rest of the world. We're nearly half of what the world spends in America. And why do advertisers spend that money to convince us of these things? The, the amounts are staggering. Example of some of this $351 billion, pharma and health products, they spend $372 million just on lobbying, lobbying. We, we want this medication to be used. Um, let's get it passed. Uh, this health product, it has been tested. We, we aren't quite sure necessarily what some of the results may be, but we, we think it's within some confines. And so lobbying takes place, $372 million. Interesting enough, in the 2020 cycle, the 2020 election cycle, $10 billion was spent on lobbying. $10 billion spent just on lobbying itself. Some of you may know, uh, whether you saw the game or not, doesn't really matter. It's, it's gone today, and who, who really cares? Um, but during the Super Bowl, uh, 30 seconds. 30 seconds cost you $7 million. If I had more time, I would stop and say, let's pause for 30 seconds, but I don't. I need every 30 seconds that I have. $7 million. And that's not just the production of the advertisement itself. That's just to say, I want it during the Super Bowl. I'll pay you $7 million. So they're trying to convince us, here is something that you need. And interesting research, and this is dated back to 2004, a professor, James McNeil, Texas A&M, who the children's market and advertisement that just advertisement, marketing directed to kids, your kids, uh, they're no longer kids anymore, but now it's my grandson and hopefully future grandsons and granddaughters. Um, <laughs> but they spend $15 billion. That was 2004. Now, 2004 compared with 1983, a 20-year gap. 1983, they were spending about $100 million in television advertisements. 20 years, they went from $100 million to $15 billion to say, let's get these kids involved or liking or thinking they need the things that we produce. 
And so often what happens, marketers, they create a need. They say that you have to have it. So all of us here, we must admit it, you have surely purchased things that you were convinced you needed, and you found out later on that you really didn't. Does anyone fall into that category? I'll answer it for you. You do. You do. Lest you be dishonest in the house of the Lord, right? You were told you needed the car, you needed the clothes, you needed the medication, you needed the beauty aids, you needed the gadget, you needed the magazine prescription, you needed the the toy, and the list goes on, does it not? It convinces you. How many of you have walked into Costco thinking you come in there to get some detergent and you walk out with one of those things that you have to push around like that? And you have to ask one of the guys to help you load it into the car. Say, wait a minute, I came for some Tide, (laughs) and now I'm walking out with the 85-inch television. How did that happen? (laughs) Wow. (laughs) We all know it happens, right? And you look at the signs, hey, $5 off instantly. And we say, hey, that's a deal. I have to do it. It's a matter of stewardship, right? (laughs) And so most advertisement is what? It's based on fulfillment of a perceived are an actual need, perceived or actual need. And often it is perceived. Now, there are obviously some things that it is actual need, but often it doesn't really fall into that category. They say you're thirsty, drink this. Overweight, try this. Can't sleep, take this. You want adventure, drive this. Um, need some peace and quiet, travel here. Want to look y- younger, use this. Want more job opportunities? Sign up with us. Want to be entertained? Watch this. Listen to this. Indulge in this. Want to look better? Exercise in this way. Or perhaps go a a step further. You can change. So what is the message we gain from all of this in one sense? There are certain things they're trying to tell you. You cannot provide it on your own. Sometimes that is the case. There are certain things that we just can't, we don't have the resources to acquire it or to maintain it on our own. Advertisers come up with all sorts of marketing schemes to make sure that they cover all bases with you. Taste, it's effective at times. Uh, How many of you use Yelp? You use Yelp and no one goes to a restaurant that has 2.5 stars. (laughs) Do you? I've never gone to one. I'm looking for four and a quarter and above. Is what I'm looking for. In uh, particular, if it's an et- more ethnic food, I want to see that people of that ethnicity go there. That's a good sign for me. Um, sound. How does it sound? Is it appeasing to you? Um, smell. It, they're trying to attach you to something. This is why you can go into Nordstrom's or to Macy's or some other place, and there are the colognes, especially the perfumes, and the lady is there, and she's saying what? Smell. Try it. Um, In sight, obviously, see it. See it. Look at it. Don't you want it? Isn't it attractive? This is the place. This is the thing. And if you only had this, it would meet your need and you would be satisfied. But we'd have to turn a corner, though. However, in the spiritual realm, men and women have damaged senses. Damaged senses. Some people during COVID, I have a relative, they um, lost their taste of smell. And some even taste buds just aren't there anymore. 
and um, obviously an advertisement to that person when it comes to taste and smell isn't going to be effective because their senses are damaged. In the spiritual realm, man's spiritual senses are damaged. Damaged. His conscience is damaged. He cannot think properly about his needs. He cannot properly assess assess himself. He cannot properly say, this is the direction that I should go because he is without Christ. The scripture tells us several things. Number one, in 2 Corinthians 4, he is blind to the truth of the gospel. And this is why Paul says that when a person turns to Christ, the veil is removed Prior to that, they're in a state of spiritual blindness. Why, does, why do people need Jesus? Because they cannot assess their life on their own. Their, spirits are dam- their senses are damaged. Number two, he is spiritually dead. Men are spiritually dead. And they have no ability to come to God on their own. And this is why the scripture tells us, for by grace you've been saved through faith and not what? Of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, lest any man should do what? Boast. No, you're spiritually dead. And this is what Paul tells us in verses 1 to 3. He is spiritually lost, despite any securities he may have in this life. Isaiah 53, we were, prior to coming to Christ, all we like sheep have gone, what? Astray. But praise God, and this is coming later, but I must say it now, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. It is also this, man is in rebellion against God, his creator. He is in rebellion against God, his creator. That is Romans chapter 5. It is also this, man needs Jesus. His spiritual senses are damaged because he is not seeking the Lord on his own terms. He is not seeking the Lord on his own terms. God does not negotiate. You must come to him on his terms. Amen? Some of you may have tried to negotiate with the Lord before you came to Christ. I will live a certain way. I'll make certain changes. I will do it at this date, at this time, uh, later in life. But no, he says, no, you you are dead. Um, You're in darkness. Come to me on my terms. So this morning, um, what do I want to do? I want to, in one sense, advertise for the Lord. You say, wait, advertise for the Lord? Yes. Uh, That is our calling and yours. An advertisement is saying an announcement, proclaiming, saying. When those companies paid $7 million for 30 seconds, they were saying, hear what I offer you. And the scripture is clear. We are ambassadors for Christ, are we not? And as an ambassador, we are going out and we're saying to people, here is the solution. And unlike certain products, you can, in in fact, tell people with confidence that the gospel is what you need. Confidence. So I want to give you five reasons that people need Jesus. Five reasons that people need the Lord. And these are real reasons. Unlike certain choices one can make when it comes to products, um, some of those things, um, the consequences of it are minuscule, if any consequences at all. 
But when it comes to you, a person rejecting this message, this advertisement, um, the consequences are fatal. They are fatal. They are. So we must go beyond just believing the facts about Christ, but in your heart to know him, to love him, to serve him, and see himself as he presented himself as a savior, as a king, and as a Lord. And you say, well, why uh, those titles? Why uh, am I communicating them? Because it must be need-based. What do I mean by that? Not popularity-based. There is a popular Jesus in the culture today. Do we all agree with that? And there is one that is saying he will, almost in one sense, adapt to your needs and your tendencies. He will adapt to your culture. And no, Christianity says, no, you're to be conformed into the image of Christ as a believer. And for that to happen, it means that you must surrender your life and give it all to him. Now, with that, I do affirm that Jesus is a friend. Amen. He is a helper and he is a healer, but he is much, much more than that. Much more than that. Number one, here's a reason that people need Jesus. They need the Lord. Only Jesus can set man free from the bondage of sin. Only Jesus can do that. Um, Jesus said, whom the son sets free shall be indeed. Um, John chapter 8 communicates this throughout Luke 4, 18, which you see there. And I read it to you and you can turn there. Luke 4, 18 says what? The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set free those who are oppressed. And I love the language when it communicates, proclaim, release to the captives. And this is what we do. And this is why I said even earlier, in one sense, we are advertisers. We are saying to those around us, Jesus Christ is, in fact, is the only solution. And we proclaim to them that you are captive, though you don't realize it. And all of us, before we came to the Lord Jesus Christ, we were captive. And most of us had... (laughs) the faintest clue that we were bound by our sin, but we were. Consider Ephesians 4.8. In Ephesians 4.8, it says this, Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Um, he is the freer of souls. The thing about sin is that it, it binds people. Every man is born bound to sin because of his fallen nature. And the only thing that can release that person from that bondage is turning to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there are many people that can look around and see society and say, uh, things are wrecked. I, I can't believe that now we're confused about uh, what is a man. I, I can't believe that we're now confused about what, at what age should we ex- expose kids to these details it should really be a conversation that should be warranted only for a parent and so there are people that can see these things in society because uh, a person who doesn't know the lord when we think about total depravity it doesn't mean that every human being is as awful as they can be it means that they have no ability whatsoever to come to faith in the lord jesus christ 
So God allows the man's conscience to see the wrong and the right. And what happens, of course, when someone constantly violates their conscience, what happens to their conscience? It becomes what? It becomes seared. It becomes dull. It doesn't operate properly. And there are aspects of our society where the conscience is seared. It doesn't operate properly. How can you think that that is an acceptable exposure to a five-year-old? How can you expect an eight-year-old to make such a a life-altering decision at this stage in life? How can you say that a, a man and a man coming together, that is a natural thing as long as there is love? There is a sense in which the conscience of our society is seared, but not everyone to that degree. And even those people that may agree with us in certain ways, they may have are maintaining some sense of morality, they are still captive by sin. They may think that they're free, but spiritual captivity is one of the greatest deceptions there is because every person is in a maximum security holding place. And only Jesus is the key that can release them. Turn with me, if you will, to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy 2. And what does it say there? That only person that can release men is the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy 2, and then it says this in verse 24. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wrong, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held, what? Captive Captive by him to do his will. And whether a person wants to accept it or not, every individual before coming to the Lord Jesus Christ was held captive by, by the devil. And notice what it says, to do his will. No one thinks that they're doing God, uh, the devil's bidding before Christ, but they are. Every person is. And the ultimate bidding that an unbeliever is doing is rejecting Jesus Christ. And that could be a person that's religious. They're still doing the devil's bidding because they're rejecting Christ. And they're saying, my works, my actions are sufficient. And they are not. But notice the language as well in 26, come to their senses. And that's why I said earlier that man's senses are damaged. And when come to one's senses, think about it for a moment. And I said this to you before, but it's appropriate to say it again, and you'll probably hear it at some other, some other point. Um, we all are built, and naturally there is something in us that says we must survive. Um, if danger comes our way, we, we would respond to it because we, have, we want to live another day. If there is something that we knew would make us better, I mean truly make us better, uh, we would go that course of action. When I was on my walk early this morning, um, it was beautiful, the cloud covering sun rise coming over the, the mountains there. It was a, just I love those moments you look into the heavens and you see the glory of God. And that's why sometimes um, the blue skies aren't always the best. 
It's good to have some character with cloud covering that adds to the majesty of God. And I was making a statement as I was narrating as I'm walking along that some people would say that our message, the message that Jesus Christ is the only way, is a hateful, antiquated message. And we must say just the opposite. It is the greatest message of love, is it not? Because how would you possibly, knowing that you have a solution for someone's eternal soul and not communicate that to them? Some of you here, you have a loved one. Maybe you have even fought with cancer yourself. Dear people to me, to cancer. Dear people to me, to cancer. And, of course, if I could have said, here is the cure. It is absolute. With both of those loved ones that have, um, have been you know, on the other side of eternity, and I can say, praise God, the right side of eternity. There were things attempted that didn't work. It was attempted that didn't work. That was attempted that didn't work. And I think about the latest person I lost, my oldest sister, and she got to the point, she just said, it's over. There's nothing they can do. But the gospel is not that way, friends. Amen. It is the solution. And how many people had, for my sister, for my mother, had I known, oh, this is absolute. It is the cure for cancer. Would any individual that has even an inkling of humanity then say, well, I'm not sure if I'll share it with them. They could be offended by it. I'm not sure if I would share it with them. The, the timing seems a bit awkward. Maybe I'll give them the solution to their terminal cancer later. No one would do that. But that's the position you're in when you have the gospel, friends. It is absolute. You can with confidence say, this will heal you. You can be free from the bondage of sin. Here's a second reason that people need the Lord. And it is this, and I can tell you now that this will be part two. So come back next week already. Only Jesus can provide true happiness. Matthew 5, and we can say 5 and 6, only Jesus. Uh, the world has a message, and it is attempting to bring us gratification, satisfaction, but it can't. The world tells us that we need, even should have, be open to sexual relations outside of marriage if it will make you happy. Homosexual marriage, they say, well, it will make you happy. There's something that is going to fulfill you, a career that is going to make you better. These things are not lasting at all. They're damaging. In an article that was written actually some years ago, Wall Street Journal Online, Jonathan Clements, the title is this, um, Rich, Successful, and Miserable. <laughs> New Research Probes Midlife Angst. And it's quite a lengthy article. Let me give you the gist of it. Here is one excerpt from it. It says, if you're in your 40s, you're probably pulling down a bigger paycheck than ever before. Maybe, maybe not. <laughs> My comment. <laughs> Portfolio has been fatter. And yet, if research by economists and psychologists is any guide, you have never been more miserable. 
and why the article goes on to talk about the dissatisfaction that people gain because they don't have the things in life that really make life satisfying. Yes, I have more of the things that I thought I wanted, but yet I find myself miserable. Why is it? Because people don't have Christ. And even for the unbeliever, and this is not a a gospel article, but they're saying even for the unbeliever, what is happening with these people that have bigger portfolios, they don't have family, they don't have friends, they don't really have satisfaction in their job, so they're walking around like zombies. They have the appearance of life, but they really don't have life. And I ask you, let's pause for a moment. And this is all well and fine to quote from this article uh, and present this question. But the question is for you, where are you right now in your life? Are you 20 and miserable? Are you 30 and miserable? 40 and miserable? 50 and miserable? 60 and miserable? Are you 70 and miserable? I hope not. Because if you know Christ, um, there is no room for misery. There's heartache in life because life can be hard and you can shed some tears. It can be difficulty in life because life can be difficulty. But for the believer, no, no room for misery because I have the thing in life that gives satisfaction to life itself. And this is why I've often said, like addressing men at times in a men's meeting, and we're talking about the issues of temptation, that the key to fighting temptation is not first accountability. The key to fighting temptation is satisfaction. When you have satisfaction in the living God and what God offers you, the things of the world, the offerings of the world, they don't appeal to your senses as much as they should. So... um, Listen to one thing that they said towards the end of the article. Um, And, of course, he talks about keeping up with the Joneses. That brings misery because they have more than I have. That can bleed into the Christian life as well. Things that are beyond our means, spending money in ways that we shouldn't spend, thinking that it's going to be gratifying. And it says, first, research suggests that you can boost happiness by Counting your blessings. Does that sound familiar to anyone? It sure does. Did I have a blessed life? Why do I have a blessed life? Because I'm in Christ. Why do I have a blessed life? Because I've been forgiven all of my sins. Why do I have a blessed life? Because eternity is waiting for me. And even if this life ended today, I wake up and I will see my Savior face to face. I was at a memorial service um, Actually, yesterday, um, my former church, I got a call when I was in Florida, and Pastor Carl, my dad passed away. He says, Jim Corbett is his name, and he would love for you to be there. You meant a lot to him, he, he, he tells me. And Jim Corbett, uh, Corbett uh, was 96 years old, 96. Wow, a long life. And I remember Jim, and he said, would you come and say something? And Uh, And the pastor who's there now, whom I know, he said, he will kind of lead it, and we'd love for you to say something. I said, oh, sure, absolutely, I'll be there. Um, And so we went, John and I went yesterday, and and it was my time to come up, and I I spoke some words about Jim. um, And I said, yeah, I can remember a couple of things about Jim. He was faithful. And I said, now, some of you, you have your pews in church, do you not? Well, Jim had his section. 
So I could easily, right now, I could see it right now. um, Okay, the church is east-facing, and that's east. I would have been this way in the pulpit. Jim would have been right about there. That was his spot. And I saw him week after week and Sunday after Sunday. And when I was there year after year in his spot. And he and I talked about a story with Jim and Maynard Taylor, who I referenced before. And Maynard went to be with the Lord, um, you know, several years ago. And he was 95. And Jim and Maynard getting up on the roof of the church saying that we can save the church some money if if we do it ourselves. They were these sort of men. It was like a, that gym man. That's just how they were. And he had the blessing of his three sons and the blessing of grandchildren and the blessing of being. He was in that church 70 years. 70 years. The, the pastors changed. The neighborhood changed. He did move. 70 years. And so if you can be there 70 years, if you want that seat, take that seat. Amen? (laughs) Amen. That's your seat. Stay there. Don't anyone touch it. Get up. Get out. Get up. No. (laughs) You can stay, but you can't sit there. That's Jim's seat. Right? No. Yeah, absolutely. Some of you say, will you do that for me, Carl? (laughs) Uh, Talk to me in 70 years. (laughs) I won't be here. (laughs) Yeah. Count your blessings that you have a relationship with the living God. Sometimes we want to be a bit too sophisticated in how we can attain happiness. Happiness is in a person. It's in a relationship. It's knowing that you have an absolute future that is unwavering, that will not perish, that will not rust, that cannot be taken away. And you think the things of the world are going to bring you happiness? What is it that's in the world that will bring you happiness? And some of you that spent some time in the world before coming to Christ, you know that it doesn't satisfy. You know it doesn't. It's an ugly cycle you can find yourself on. And this is why in... Matthew chapter 5, blessed are those, blessed are those, happy are those, happy are those, happy are those. That's the key. People are searching. They're hearing those billions of dollars of marketing schemes, and sometimes they're answering it. They're answering the call of a society that says it really is about you and do whatever makes you happy. Here is a fourth, third consideration, and we're going to end here a little early. The latter two uh, have some weight to them more than perhaps the others. Only Jesus can heal their hurts. People are wondering, why do they need the Lord? Only Jesus. You know, advertising is not the only thing that's on the rise in our society. Um, Substantial Increase in abuse in the home. Substantial increase in marriages not working out. Broken hearts that come from both. The world offers solutions, but none will heal like Jesus. I was on a, just yesterday, um, my son and his family, Sarah and little grandson, Jaden in town for a little bit. And we decided, what are we going to do today? So we went out for a hike. 
And, um, and there's some places I love to hike. And at the end of Via Princesa, uh, you can go up and get on the ridge, and you can go for miles along the ridge just looking at the Santa Clarita Valley. And um, I said, here's one path we can take and go for miles. And probably my daughter-in-law wisely said, maybe another occasion, <laughs> not right now. And so we took another hike. It's actually pretty, it, it, was, it was nice. And little Jaden, he was loving it. He, you know, boys outdoors, right? Dirt, rocks. Uh, what better, how does life get any better? Branches you can break and pick up. Life, he's, in, he's like in boy heaven, correct? <laughs> Just in boy heaven. And that's, a, well, I was about to start preaching again because that's another ridiculous thing. Boys are boys, are they not? Girls are girls. They like to play with certain things, and boys like to play with certain things. Boys have a tendency to break stuff. Girls have the tendency to try to put it back together again. (laughs) That's just a reality. They want to get in the mud and splash around and and throw rocks and hit things. That's just how they are, right? Their language is different. All the things that they consider are different. Are there some times when, you know, there's a little cross-pollination, you know, at, a, at an early age? Of course there is. But there are distinctions that God has built into them. Do you agree? And even at that little bitty age, you say, oh, totally boy. Total boy. Like when we had, you know, the twins and Joanna was like, they would be wrestling around with one another. And, you know, one would pin the other down. And Jonah's like, whoa, let's stop them. They're just being boys. Then she realized, oh, they're just being boys. Would one make the other cry sometimes? Yes, he did. And that made the other a little bit tougher. And so they clash. And guess what? Their clashing actually helped them, I think, be better men. Yes. Somebody wants to say, oh, no, we mustn't do that sort of thing. No, we mustn't do that. Get, get Billy out of the mud. He's all dirty. No. No, get it. You know, we'll hose you off. Exactly. I got, look, as a kid, I got hosed off. This is like old school. You were out playing. You came back home. You're not coming in the house that way. Take your shoes off. Take that off. It's like going through a car wash, right? Get the hair dryer off. You're good. Now come in. I turned out okay. And a lot of other people turned out okay. Living life that way. But we're we're having this conversation about differences in culture and upbringing. And we got into the conversation about there's certain people that don't have the blessing of their parents saying, like my John and I, um, in June is 31 years. There are a lot of people that don't have that blessing. I just talked to George Crawford, and he says, well, he and Anna, it's, okay, now it's 42 years. That's not the norm anymore. And so with that comes hurts and pains and difficulties. Now, I've addressed the issue of the greatest hurt, which is your bondage to sin. But there's also uh, a practical hurt of life experiences as well. And I do believe that there is a bomb in Gilead. Now, some of you are too young to know what that is. And there's a song, there is a bomb in Gilead. Oh, the bomb in Gilead. Well, let me read it to you. 
There is a balm in Gilead to make the wounded whole. There is a balm in Gilead to heal the sin-sick soul. Sometimes I feel discouraged and think my work's in vain. But then the Holy Spirit revives my soul again. Don't ever feel discouraged, for Jesus is your friend. And if you lack of knowledge, he'll ne'er refuse to lend. Yeah. I just remember singing that song. In Gilead. Wow. This is like old school here. But great truths. And this is, it was taken from Jeremiah because Jeremiah is a people. And they're saying that now their people are hurt. And he says, is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no way to heal them? Christ is that healer. People go through life and it's hard and it's difficult. Christ is that balm. It's him. You say, well, why do people need the Lord? They're bound to sin. Why do people need the Lord? They don't know true happiness. Why do people need the Lord? He's the one that can heal all their hurts. Christ and Christ alone. Father, we thank you for these words you give us, your goodness and grace. You are kind and good. Help us to look to Christ, the sufficient Savior. He is indeed King, royal. He is indeed a Savior who gives himself. He is indeed Lord, the ruler of all things. But he is also a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He is a healer, as we'll consider even in the future, that the, the spirit of comfort that comes to us from 2 Corinthians 1. He is a suffering servant who identifies with our hurt and with our pain. We thank you for that. Help us to rest in him. In Christ's name, amen.